0: It is a pleasure to be in front of you today. It's a pleasure to be following a song. I'd rather have Jesus than anything else. It's a pleasure to be in the midst of a Lenten season that is pointing us to Easter, to something that is to come, something that we now live in, a resurrection kind of life. And as such, the text for today is what has historically been a Palm Sunday text, but I, I want to reinterpret it for us today, and I think that maybe we can get something out of it, okay? Is that okay if we try to maybe get something out of it in spite of the fact that it's not Palm Sunday? <laughs> See, I think for us, we have, a, we have a guiding metaphor that we can use here, which is windows. Windows, right? Windows. Hey, hey Jack, how are you? Yeah, yeah, Windows. You can, you can use them to see things. You can, you can, I, I can see you, can you see me? I mean, some of you can't because you're behind me and that's, that's terrible, that's a bad spot, all right? But you can see things. Some of you may be thought of a different kind of a Windows, a Windows that was initially released on November the 20th of 1985, for those of you tech nerds in the room, this is the 30-year anniversary of Microsoft Windows. That is, I mean, that's, that's 30 years. That's a long time, right? Some of you are going, nope. Um, <laughs> yeah. But see, this was initially a, a programming kind of operating system that operated based off of a MS-DOS, a previous prior uh, predecessor. Previous prior predecessor. That, that's, that's, that's good language right there. Uh, but it's a text-based operating system that had largely reached the end of its capacity... But it was being perpetuated because there's nothing better out there. And so Microsoft Windows came along, and all of a sudden computing became something that wasn't just based on text as you see on the screens. Anybody ever remember typing in MS? Oh my gosh, it was the worst. I would always have to type in the directory, you know, and then figure out like which one of those 80,000 files I would get. But Windows came along. And it was based on something that you and I, the users, could see pictorially represented. The fun thing about Windows was that it didn't really do much more than MS-DOS, its predecessor. It just made it look prettier. Look at that. Isn't that pretty? See, 30 years ago, we were going, yes, that is pretty. Oh, my goodness, we don't just have to look at text anymore. Now we can see the various files that we have. And so because of that, Windows gained market share to a high point of 90%. Those of you in the room who have any kind of business bone in your body, you recognize that a 90% market share is something that you would kill to have, that people have killed to have. And then Windows, it's slowly lost its, its market share to something else. Does anybody know what that is? I heard it. Uh, no, to, to Android. Since 2012, across all devices, whether you're talking about, you know, the, the phone that's in most of our pockets or a, a tablet. Maybe you've got an iPad or some other kind of thing. Or maybe you've got a laptop or a desktop. Android, they came out with their own thing. Because now you and I together, we could, we could go and do whatever we wanted to so that we could see whatever we wanted to see. We democratized Windows. Isn't that crazy? But windows, they help us to see what has always been there. They don't create something out of nothing as if it were possible for this window one day to show me the Eiffel Tower. Wouldn't that be cool? If all of a sudden you wake up and, you know, you go to sleep in Norman, Oklahoma, and you wake up in Norman, Oklahoma, but you see the Eiffel Tower. Or wouldn't it be cool if you saw the Taj Mahal? Or can I get an amen? Wouldn't it be good to see S&B Burger joint again? I'm sad, all right? That, that, that was a sad moment. So today we'll be looking through three different windows of this text to see what God might have for us. But first, let's pray. Almighty God, We give our attention to you anew. We expectantly ask that you would speak to us. Now, Lord, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts be pleasing in your sight. O Lord, our rock and our redeemer and all of God's people said. See, it's only at first glance that the text for today, Matthew chapter 21, verses 1 to 22, if you've got your Bible, go ahead and open it. We're not putting it on, on the screen. Okay, I, 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 like, I like Bibles, okay? I, I, I like these things. They're, they're, they're good, okay? They, they, they help us. So we're going to actually turn to them, okay? If you've got an electronic Bible, you get a free pass this week, all right? But next week, just go ahead and bring your physical one, all right? It's, 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 it's okay, all right? So it looks like we're celebrating Palm Sunday a week early. As they approached Jerusalem and came to Bethphage, this is Matthew 21, verse 1, Jesus sent two disciples, Luke is going to tell us that it's Peter and John, saying to them, go to the village ahead of you, and at once you will find a donkey tied there with her colt by her. Untie them and bring them to me. If anyone says anything to you, say that the Lord needs them, and he will send them right away. This took place to fulfill what was spoken to the prophet. Say to daughter Zion, see your king comes to you, gentle and riding on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. And the disciples went and did as Jesus had instructed them. They brought the donkey and the colt and placed their cloaks on them for Jesus to sit on. A very large crowd spread their cloaks on the road while others cut branches from the trees and spread them on the road. The crowds that went ahead of him and those that followed shouted, Hosanna to the son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest heaven. And when Jesus entered Jerusalem, the whole city was stirred and asked, Who is this? And the crowds answered, This is Jesus the prophet from Nazareth in Galilee. Now, I know what you're thinking. You're thinking we already read that. Okay, well, let's read something that we haven't read yet. Verse 12, Jesus entered the temple courts and drove out all who were buying and selling there. He overturned the tables of the money changers and the benches of those selling doves. It is written, he said to them, my house will be called a house of prayer, but you are making it a den of robbers. And the blind and the lame came to him at the temple and he healed them but when the chief priests and the teachers of law saw the wonderful things he did and the children shouting in the temple courts, Hosanna to the son of David, they were indignant. Do you hear what these children are saying, they asked him. Yes, replied Jesus. Have you never read from the lips of children and infants, you, Lord, have called forth your praise? And he left them and went out of the city to Bethany, where he spent the night. And early in the morning, as Jesus was on his way back to the city, he was hungry. And seeing a fig tree by the road, he went up to it, but found nothing on it except leaves. Then he said to it, may you never bear fruit again. Immediately the tree withered. When the disciples saw this, they were amazed. How did the fig tree wither so quickly? Jesus replied, truly I tell you, if you have faith and do not doubt, not only can you do what has been done to the fig tree, but you also can say to this mountain, go throw yourself into the sea and it will be done. If you believe, you will receive whatever you ask for in prayer. It seems like we're celebrating Palm Sunday a week early, isn't it? At first, that's what I thought whenever I looked at this. But, I mean, there's a method to this madness. See, next week we'll all be together. We'll all be in here. We'll baptize some folks. We'll do a little bit of this, do, do a little bit of that. Uh, uh, Dr. Reiber, was that, were, were, did you the one, were you the one who told us about... Holy Week stuff earlier? Yep. Okay, good. Yeah. So we've got Holy Week stuff going on, but next week we're going to be reading the story. We're going to be preaching the story of Jesus and cross and all of that to set us up for resurrection the next week. So, you know, we, we, we're doing something different next week. We're all together. It's, it's going to be a little bit different kind of service. So we're just, you know, hitting fast forward a little bit, okay? But as we look at these verses, what do we call those first 11 verses? of the Bible. Your Bible may have a heading there, okay? Those didn't didn't come with with the very beginning of the Bibles, okay? I have an old King James Bible that my grandpa gave me, okay? And and, and it doesn't have chapter headings. It just has verses, okay? Anybody else know what I'm talking about? Yeah? So what is your Bible? What does that section heading say there? Triumphant entry. Find find for me the word triumphant in, in, in this text. Find it for me. See, Matthew goes to great pains to frame this as not something that's a triumphant entry, but something that's a royal entry. If you look at the, the, the text in Zechariah 9.9, 9, it'll be on the screen here in just a moment, we see that the word triumphant is in there. But compare this to the text that you're looking at. Which words does he leave out? Triumphant. Victorious. Where is Matthew Matthew's focus instead? Isn't it on the humble, riding on a donkey? Hmm. See this this text right here. He he frames it as a royal entry, or maybe a messianic entry, but it's not very triumphant. Matthew is famous for blurring the lines between a king and prophet. We have him describe David as a prophet and as a king earlier. We have him describe Moses as prince and prophet. He, he's not looking just to, to show us that this is a new king, a new political power. Instead, he's reminding us that this, this has religious significance. This kind of entry claim, if we would have been first century readers, looking through a first century Window, we would have seen a royal entry here. So why does he do this? Well, I think that uh, he does it for a few reasons, and we have to be looking through the right window to see this correctly. First of all, it's to remind us to read what's there. A lot of times in our Bibles, we, we get to a passage like this, and we go, oh, yeah, yeah, I, I know this text. It's a triumphal entry story. We, we've been there, done that, got the T-shirt. Some of you actually have T-shirts, okay? yeah. Uh, uh, This is one of those things that we can't just kind of go, been there, done that. Instead, we've got to pay attention. John is the only one to mention palm branches. What does Matthew call them? Branches! Branches! Luke, guess what? He doesn't have branches. So it's not about the branches, is it? Matthew and Mark, they have leafy branches. It's a it's a reminder back to a Leviticus passage that lists palm branches, but it's, they're right next to willow and elm and all these other kinds of branches. I mean, we just have branches. So what all four do have in common is cloaks. They all have cloaks. See, the people would have taken their coats off and put them in, in, in front of Jesus' donkey. And cloaks acknowledge kingship. Cloaks acknowledge Acknowledge kingship. So, what's most important here? It's not the triumph or the palms, but it's the cloaks. Secondly, that Jesus rides a beast of burden would have indicated the kind of ruler or king that he wanted to be. You ride a horse if you're there to conquer. What is Jesus riding? He's riding a donkey. Don? We're going to raise an army, you and me, okay? Uh, We're going to go back. We're going to get in our time machine and go back in time, okay? And with it, we're going to have donkeys to pull our chariots, all right? Um, uh, Those other people, you know, they, they, they have horses, but we're going to have donkeys. Who's going to be successful? Not us. See, so you don't ride a donkey if you're gonna go and whip everybody. In fact, you go there if you're trying to send the opposite message. I come in peace. Not only that, but what does it say about the the one that is ridden? Has he ever been ridden before? That Jesus takes a cult that has never been ridden before and keeps it calm in the midst of a crowd shows us that we have something special on our hands. Have you ever known one of those people who they just exuded peace, calm, quietness? You get around them and whatever you bring to the table in terms of frustration or anger or angst, it just kind of melts away the more that you spend time with them. Anybody have anybody like that? Okay, I'm the only one. That's fine. I'm the only one with my hands up. That's fine. I have somebody like that in my life, though. Somebody who just kind of quiets the storm. And in the same way, this donkey that's never been ridden before, he's calm. He's quiet. See, the aim here isn't to, to militarily destroy everybody. Instead, it's a reminder of the peace and the control of nature that Jesus has. Last, we have to see what the people are shouting. What are they shouting? Come on. All right, thank you. Yeah, there you go. Hosanna to the son of David. Hosanna in the highest heaven. If my mother would have said two, said the same word to me twice, I, I, I kind of learned to pay attention. Okay, so we, here we've got Hosanna there a couple of times. We should probably pay attention. What does that mean? Who's got a Bible note? Save. And it's a plea, it's a prayer to save now. There's, there's, a, there's a, a current expectation on that. But the Jews, don't they already know salvation? Aren't they already well acquainted with exactly what's going on and what has gone on over the period of time through which they're going? They already know salvation. But somewhere deep within them, they sense that there is something more. Kingship. Peace, salvation, all wrapped up in one act. The people, some of your Bibles say, they were, they were stirred or they were in turmoil. The noun form of this Greek verb is seismos. The adjectival form is seismic. It's, if we were to literally translate this, we would say that the people were earthquaked. <laughs> Here in Oklahoma, we know a little bit about earthquakes recently, don't we? Anybody been through an earthquake? Come on. I mean, if you live in Oklahoma, you've been through an earthquake, all right? Yeah. When was the last time that you experienced a personal earthquake? The loss of a job, maybe, the loss of a loved one, the world around you crumbling. There's an earthquake going on here. That's the situation that Jesus was riding into. He was bringing kingly peace and salvation. Do you see it? Do you see it? Continuing up this 17-mile road from Jericho to Jerusalem, it's one that rose 3,000 feet over the course of those 17 miles. If you can imagine climbing 3,000 feet, you know, and that's more than half a mile, miles 5,280 feet. Some of those of you in the room are maybe mathematicians or, you know, math smart, um, you know, you could be able to tell me exactly how much that is, but that's, 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 that's a climb, you know what I mean? That's not something that you go out for a Sunday stroll and think, oh, okay, cool. No, this is a climb. So we get to the end, and we we look through the windows of the temple. We see Jesus turning some tables over now we 've got a picture of a temple here we uh, this would have been a thirteen uh, acre uh, complex. You've got the Antonia Fortress up here on the top right. Uh, you've got Solomon's Porch right there on the back side. You've got uh, some other buildings. I always kind of thought that, that whenever I thought of the temple, I thought it was just one building. And, you know, I, I kind of forgot that there was other stuff. There were supporting buildings all around it. And it, it, it would have been a, a place that was central to religious practice, but it had also been made into a marketplace, It's thought that Caiaphas, in an attempt to consolidate power, he started having a a livestock market there so that he could bring in more money and also be in control of what was going on. So partly out of a greed or, or a desire for increased power and partly out of a desire to make things easier, it had been made into a place to purchase animals who were suitable for sacrifice and for a banking system. They would take your money wherever it was from and they would... Charge it the required half-shekel t- temple tax. Now, I'm going to talk to Roy Joe when, when he gets back and say, Hey, Roy Joe, we should just start charging people admission. I've got a great idea. I mean, it worked for them. They, they just expected it, so they paid it, and they went in. Yeah, anybody willing to pay admission? Okay, I guess I'm the only one, too. All right, that's, that's good. Maybe we won't do that. You know, maybe Jesus, he really hates taxes. Here on April the 15th, it's a Wednesday. It's coming up. Okay, make sure and do your taxes. But I would bet that Jesus doesn't hate taxes. Instead, let's listen to what he says. He's looking for a house of prayer, but it's been made into a den of robbers. It's a quotation from Isaiah 56, 7 that tells us that the temple should be a house of prayer. This place should be a house of prayer. Something that I imagine would be difficult with all the livestock around. Can you imagine if we used the balcony up here for a livestock pen? Sorry, folks. Got to move. We need it for livestock. Or uh, anybody willing to help me close this in? We're going to make a sheep pen here, Okay. Uh, I mean, you know, we've already got kind of walls, you know, so we just have to kind of close this a little bit more. What do you think? Anybody willing to help me out with that? Or uh, goats. Goats. Um, Where where could we put goats in here? I mean, who who cares? Because goats get everywhere, you know? Anybody ever had goats? Goats are the worst. Um, Unless you like goats, in which case, I guess they're not the worst. Um, Can you imagine how crazy it would be with all this livestock around I'll never forget when I was a a senior in high school, I was visiting one of my friends and he was a, a freshman at Texas Tech University. Anybody know where I'm going with this? When you're driving to Lubbock, what do you smell? You smell livestock, don't you? Can you imagine coming to church and smelling that? Can you imagine coming to church, a place that should be a house of prayer and instead seeing pigs over here or, or, you you know, goats over there or sheep over there? Pigs would have been unclean, but I mean, it's pretty terrible. You know, I mean, and and, and not only that, but you'd have to have a place for food and you'd have to have have a place for food, you know, I mean, it's Hmm. not much of that would put me in a praying mood unless I was praying that those things be removed from here. Unless we miss out and it wasn't just the sellers who are driven out of the temple. Look at what what your text says. Verse 12, Jesus entered the temple courts and drove out all who were buying and selling. The buyers too. You know, there's an alternate reading for the, the word robbers here. It's very interesting to me. It could also mean nationalistic rebels people who come into a place that should serve religious purposes and instead trying to hijack that for political gain. As such, the temple could have more closely resembled a political gathering than a religious gathering. Uh, New business idea, okay? The the temple tax, that didn't seem to to fly very well, okay? Instead, let's rent out this space on Sunday mornings or pick your favorite candidate uh, when the next election comes along. Anybody, Anybody open to that? We'll just cancel Sunday services. Is that okay? No, because what is this place? Isn't it a sacred space? It is a place where we walk in together and together, whether individually or corporately, we say, God, we want something from you today. This is a house of prayer. And it would just look weird as anything else. We talk about our politics within these four walls, but that's not the primary purpose of why we come here. And if you come here to talk about your politics, then, I mean, you're welcome to keep coming, but stop talking about that as your primary thing, okay? We're here to meet God. Do you remember the condemnation of the people having lost their first love? Who or what is your first love? Now maybe you're looking at me and you, 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 you like just understanding this passage at face value and that's okay. A den of robbers. The same principle holds true. If we are here for primarily business purposes then we've missed the mark. What is this place? A house of prayer. Now clearly through the ages, Christians and, 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 and members of other faiths, they, they go to their faith and they meet people and you know, they, they do business with them just because there's proximity, there's knowledge, there's relationship. But if you're coming here primarily to do business, I, I still think you've missed the mark. It's weird how sometimes we let other things enter our faith so that we look at God plus business or faith plus politics. Anytime that people try to attach uh, anything to God or faith, that's the point where bright lights go, beep, beep, beep. I mean, we should be going, I don't know that that's actually true. So looking through this window, I see Jesus who's committed to letting God things God things at the end of the story we have Jesus making the unclean clean look at verse 14 the blind and the lame came to him at the temple and he healed them they would have been unable to go into the temple because of their uncleanness he is now inviting them in a powerful way in a demonstrative way come in you are invited what an act of compassion If you've ever felt dirty, but you still come to church wanting for God to do a mighty act in you, then Jesus is there with an open arm begging you, come in the door. And it made the authorities mad. They're mad at the children, really, but they go to Jesus about it. Isn't it funny how faith sometimes seems so natural to children? Look through the windows of our church, and you'll see children who have vibrant, active faiths. Do you still have that? If you do, then praise God. If you don't, what changed? Was there ever something along the way that made you so jaded that you said, you know what, I I mean, I'll keep going to church, but I don't really know. I don't think there's a magic formula to getting back a vibrant, active faith after you've lost it. But if you were to repeat what the children in the temple are saying, Hosanna to the Son of David, save me now, Son of David, save me now, Jesus. I think that'd be a pretty decent start. So Jesus is tired he goes out to Bethany, the hometown of Lazarus, Mary, and Martha. Maybe he stays with them. Maybe he stays with other friends. Maybe he just camps out on the side of the road. We don't know. He sleeps. He wakes. He's hungry. And I'm not just talking a little hungry. I'm talking he's hungry. Have you ever known anybody who was angry? You know what I'm talking about? They're angry until they get some food in them. One of my friends in business school, his name was Carlos. He was a hangry guy, you know. He'd walk in and he'd be just frustrated. Oh, man, I I hate this, I hate that. And you just hand him a Cliff Bar and go, dude, you need to, you know, step out in the hall for a second. He'd come back in and he'd go, oh, yeah, I'm ready to go. So Jesus, he's not just a little bit hungry. He's talking curse of fig tree hungry. (laughs) Anybody have a ton of experience with figs outside of eating them in Newton form? I thought about just, you know, buying like 30 boxes of Fig Newtons and then, you know, putting them at the doors here. But I was fairly certain that I'd have 32 boxes of Fig Newtons left. I didn't know anything about figs. So I found, uh, so I, I did a ton of research this last week, and I found out that figs and fig leaves—they all sprout out at, at about the same time. Look, look, look at the picture that's on the monitors. We've got figs there, we've got leaves. They come at about the same time. This is different than than other kinds of fruit trees. However, sometimes the green and unripe figs—you can see one there in that little bunch—they uh, that sometimes uh, they'll just drop. All of them from a tree for no real good reason. And you can still eat the green fig tree, the the, the green figs. It's not like going up to a, have anybody ever had an unripe cherry? Oh gosh, unripe cherries are, oh my gosh, they're terrible. There's a reason why nobody sells unripe cherries. If you were to go to Crest and say, yes, I'd like some unripe cherries, please they would say, we don't have unripe cherries. What are you doing? Get out of here. But green unripe figs, you can still eat them. They're still pretty good. But sometimes all of the green unripe figs, they just drop to the ground. No no reason why. And so what that leaves is, well, leaves. So as we watch Jesus out of our Kitchen windows, right there in Bethany, right alongside Jesus. We begin to understand why when we find out that there are no figs on it. This seems like a petulant act of an eight-year-old. But instead, we see Jesus do it, so we have to reconsider. We saw leaves, so we assumed figs, right? We, we know how all this works, but it's a disappointing false advertisement it's a show of life that promised fruit, yet was bearing none. It's a show of life of bearing fruit, yet bears none. Are any of our lives that way? See, the people would have known about, uh, about figs in this area. So that forced us to look into the windows of our own souls. Are we creating Jesus in our own image? Have we overlaid triumphalism where we should be reading peaceful salvation? Maybe we've tried to tack on business or politics or our faith, baptizing them so that we feel better about it. But in the end, creating loud, noisy temples that are unsuitable as houses of prayer. Or finally, as we look into the windows of our own souls, we see that maybe we've made a show of bearing fruit but we're spiritually barren. We've ended up with pretty leaves that belie what's not really there. So what? I think our answer lies in the last two verses, verses 21 and 22. Oftentimes these verses are abused and instead of continuing to do that, I want to suggest that we don't need a, a, a perfect faith, but instead a growing faith. Prayer and faith can save us from fruitlessness and destruction, but all of us us must remember who to turn to, which window to look at. Let's pray.